Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. We've been in a series called Response. And as Jared shared last week, of the more we understand the gospel and our response to the gospel, it affects all of our relationships. And it, it empowers us to love and to forgive differently than those who don't have an experience with a forgiving God. And so as we're gonna continue on in that, I don't know about you, but I left convicted last week. I got to sit, I was, I was gone for the most of the week and was in Kentucky doing what I love and sitting in a deer stand with it 17 degrees. Um, so it was joyous. But I had to think through the message that I heard last week for four days, five days. And I don't know about you, but it took some evaluating in my own life as to how I need to be responding differently. But then we get ready to tee up this morning. And, and, and Brandon Sloan did a great job of, of kind of setting that up and putting the ball on the tee. And, and so what we're gonna talk about this morning is how is our generosity affected by the gospel? How is our generosity affected by the gospel? You know, when we talk about that word generosity, it's got many different layers. There's many different layers. There's different ways that generosity manifests itself. You know, we can be generous with our time. We can be generous with our hospitality. We can be generous with our talents. We can be generous with our friendships. But the one thing that we don't like to talk about a lot of times that sort of steps on our toes, our toes, my toes as well, is when we talk about being generous with our possessions, when we talk about being generous with what God has given us, you know, when we talk about being generous with, with our time, with our friendships, with our ability to be hospitable, that's really not that hard to talk about. We can all talk about being generous when it comes to those things, but as soon as we cross the line of possessions, it takes on a whole new meaning. It takes on a whole new meaning when we talk about being generous with our possessions, with our finances, with our goods that we have. And the truth is, is there's some of you that are even in here right now, as we begin to talk about generosity, you have already checked out. Because in your mind, you know what the church is known for, what the church gets a bad rap for, is that, that every individual in the pews or in the seats today, all that we're concerned about is your number and your money. That's kind of the, the misconception of the church is that all we care about is writing a number down and asking for money. But what I want you to hear today and from my heart is this right here. I want you to be very, I wanna be very, very clear that as long as God calls me here to pastor this place, you will never hear Pastor Brian stand up on stage and beg for your money. Because the truth is, is if I can guilt you into being generous, then it's really not generosity. It's you responding to obligation. 
And so as I'm talking about that, I'm never going to stand here and, and beg for your money. That, that leads me to two misunderstandings when it comes to being generous or when it comes to, to generosity. The first misunderstanding, and I want you to write this down. Listen to me. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. I can promise you that God didn't roll out of the throne this morning and hit the floor and go, oh, oh I really, really hope Chestnut Mountain gives this morning because if they don't, I'm not gonna be able to get the streets of gold pressure washed this week. I'm not gonna be able to get the pearly gates polished. And if Chestnut Mountain does not give, then I'm not going to be able to accomplish all that I want to accomplish. I want to be loud and clear. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. As we're going to look in just a little while, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul speaks to that. God gives the seed to the sower. God gives the seed to the sower. So everything that you have, everything you have, from the shirt on your back to the car you drove to church in this morning to the breakfast you ate to the home that you live in, I want you to understand God has given all of that to you. And I know your pride is welling up inside. You're going, yeah, but I worked for it. Who do you think gave you the ability to work for it? Everything you have, God has given it to you. So God doesn't need your money. The second misunderstanding, and this was a hard one. Our heart of generosity is not an investment plan for us to get more from God. Our generosity is not an investment plan to get more from God. If we could pass the baskets this morning, we could say, hey, look, if you put in 10 bucks, I can promise you by tomorrow that will turn into 200. Who wouldn't sign up for that? We all would. And when we talk about finances, when we talk about being generous, there's this, this terminology of this return on investment. And in our carnal minds, we all wanna know what the return on investment is when we make an investment into something, when we let go, when we're generous with what God has given us. We all wanna know what happens in return. But can I tell you, that's not exactly how the kingdom of God works. You know, I think about the return on investment to, as the example we just used. You put $10 in, you get 200 back out. Sign me up. But you see what happened just several weeks ago is we had over 100 teenagers that were going to, to Big C Retreat where they went away for three days. And me and my rebellion, we got up and opened up the Registration, the day of. I think we had nine more kids sign up to go. But the heart of generosity, many of you sitting here in this room, you met me in the lobby. You gave me money and you said, hey, I wanna pay for a kid to go. I wanna pay for a kid to go. I wanna pay for a kid to go. And by the time it was all said and done, we had more kids paid to go for than signed up that day to go. But can I tell you that over half of those kids that signed up late, guess what happened in those three days? They met Jesus. 
They were saved by the grace of God. Can I tell you, there's no greater return on investment than that. But the heart behind that is you may never see that here. But if the Holy Spirit of God prompts you to be open-handed with what he's given you, then by the grace of God, guess what? We're to respond and do as the Holy Spirit leads us to do. So the two misunderstandings about generosity and money, God doesn't need it. And it's not an investment plan to get more from God. So in your mind, you're going, okay, well, what is it? What is it? I want you to turn to so 2 Corinthians chapter eight. 2 Corinthians chapter eight, verses eight and nine is where we're gonna start. I'll go ahead and warn you, we're gonna bounce back and forth. And y'all know me, I'm wired just a little bit differently. So we're gonna start in verses eight and nine and somehow we end up going back through one through seven, okay? So we're gonna kind of do this thing backwards. But as Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, Paul is, is giving an example of generosity. He's talking and he's teaching on the very thing that we're teaching on today. But look at what he says in verses eight and nine. I'm not speaking of this. This is generosity. I'm not speaking of this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I love how Paul starts that in verse eight. He says, I'm not telling you this as a command. I'm not gonna guilt you into being generous. I'm not gonna set stipulations on what generosity looks like. I'm not gonna tell you what it is. I'm not telling you this as a command. If you remember the example we shared just a few weeks ago of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus was called down out of the tree. He had a relationship with Jesus now. And in response to knowing the gospel, in response to knowing the love that Christ had for him, what does the Bible say he did in response? He gave away half of all that he owned to the poor. Was he ever at any moment commanded to do that? No, it was response of knowing what had been done for him. It was in response to what had happened. One of the quotes that I found this week, it says this, a fundamental principle of giving is voluntary. Had Paul prescribed an amount or a percentage, they would have been obedient to a command versus responding out of the thankfulness of love. So when we're generous, when we're open-handed with what God has given us, we have to realize that that we're doing it with sincerity of love for others, but more importantly, for the love of our Savior and what he has done for us. Now, in verses one through seven, Paul unpacks the example of what a generous people look like. And I'll just sum it up right quick. He's talking about the churches at Macedonia. He's talking about the churches at Macedonia and how they were generous and the three churches that made up this region were the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, and the church at Berea. 
Now, to the Corinthians, this would have caught them off guard. It would have caught them off guard that Paul was using the example of the churches at Macedonia. And the reason that it would have taken them off guard is because they know the condition of that region. They know that that region was was in a mess. They were very poor. They had been ravaged by war. And they were utterly in ruins because of the Romans. And so the fact that Paul points to an area of poverty to use them as an example to what generosity looks like, this probably left them scratching their head. How can they be generous? They have nothing. And that's what we're gonna allude to today. What you're gonna find out is generosity has nothing to do with the amount that someone gives, but it has everything to do with the heart that's behind what is given. That's what generosity is about. And we see how bad off they were. Look at verse two. Verse two of chapter eight. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. You see, when you look at that phrase, they were in a great ordeal and affliction. When you go back to the original language, what that's literally talking about is the analogy that is used is, would be the smashing of a grape, that it's under so much pressure that it finally just gets to a point and it explodes. You see, that's exactly where the churches of Macedonia were. They were under so much pressure, so much affliction, so much stress. They were experiencing all the poverty. They were experiencing all the trials. They were experiencing persecution. However, it never affected their heart of generosity. It never affected their heart of generosity. And so we have to ask the question, why? How did it never affect As you just heard Pastor Brandon share just a moment ago, when things get weighty at home, it's always just that breadcrumb that God will say, hey, I am faithful. You just keep being faithful and allow me to prove my faithfulness to you. But we look at the churches at Macedonia and we wonder, well, they were under so much pressure. How did they continue with this heart of generosity? How did they continue being open-handed? Because I don't know about you, but I'm gonna wanna hold on a little bit tighter. If I'm in poverty, if I know that I don't know when my next meal is coming, I'm gonna be doing everything I can to take control of it myself. And we're gonna talk about that in just a moment. But as Paul tees up this conversation about generosity, look at how he starts it. Verse one, now brethren, we wish to make known to you the amount of money that you're supposed to give to be generous. Is that what it says? We wish to make known to you all that you've got to give in order to look generous. That's not at all what he says. In order to address generosity, what does Paul say? We wish to make known to you the grace of God. We wish to make known to you nothing to do with money, nothing to do with what you have. But what we wanna make known to you is the grace of God. You see, and that is so important because the grace of God defines generosity. The definition of grace is to give someone what isn't deserved. It's to give someone something that they haven't worked for, that they haven't accomplished. 
It's giving someone what they don't deserve. And then what Paul begins to do in the remainder of this chapter is he, he unpacks the best example of generosity that has ever been exemplified for all of human mankind. And he does that in verse nine. We read it just a moment ago. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that phrase again, that grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty, so that you might become rich. You know, the Bible says there that he was rich and he became poor. What we have to be careful of here is to recognize what it means to be rich in this text. You see, Jesus wasn't referencing how wealthy he was when it comes to monetary things. Jesus was rich on a whole nother level. You see, the fact of what he did have possession of, because he was God in the flesh, he had all the power, he had all authority, and he had all the knowledge of God. He had all of it. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. He was in the heavenly place. He was rich. He had all that anyone could ever ask for. But because he saw our condition, because he saw your condition, he said, I've got to rescue my people. And in order to rescue his people, he had to become one of those people. He had to empty himself of all of his riches. Now understand, I don't want you to ever take this out of context. Jesus never stopped becoming God. He was never not God. We read that in Colossians chapter two, verse nine. He says that the entire fullness of God's nature dwells in the body of Christ. So as Jesus was on earth, as Jesus was suffering all the ways that he suffered, he never stopped being God. Well, you say, well, how did he become poor? You see, when he left the throne of heaven, he left behind all the ability to be able to exercise his attributes of God because he came, became 100% man. It was still all there, but he turned his back on the ability to be able to use it. And so he became he was rich. He left all that he had. He left all that he was. And he poured himself out to become poor so that you and I could become rich. That's the grace of God. Doing for us what we don't deserve. Giving us what we don't deserve. You see, what Jesus gave up when he came to earth, it exceeded anything of earthly value that we could ever give up. What Jesus gave up exceeds anything of earthly value. He gave up his God card, if you would. But not only that, we know what it led to. He willingly gave up his life. 
He died for you and he died for me so that we could have everlasting life, so that we could have an eternal relationship with God our Father, so that we can have hope. You do realize that all the power of God was still in the person of Christ. And as they scourged him, as they ripped the flesh off of his back, as they spit in his face, as they pressed the crown of thorns on his head, you realize that in any moment, all he had to do was to do what God could do and say, stop. This is too brutal. But because he loves you so much, because he loves me so much, he never stopped pouring out because he knew that was the Father's plan. He knew that was God's plan to bring salvation to you and to me. So you say, well, how did the church at Macedonia, how did they continue being pressed on and how did they continue being persecuted, but yet they stayed being generous? Very simple. They looked at what Christ exemplified for them. They said, if he can be pressed, if he can be smashed, if he can be destroyed, if he can be murdered, then who are we to stop being generous when things get difficult at home. You see, the churches at Macedonia, everything they did was in response to knowing the gospel. Everything they did was in response to knowing the love that Jesus had for them. So to sum all of that up, the Lord Jesus Christ became poor in his, in his incarnation And when he was born of a woman in the likeness of sinful flesh, he was made for a little while lower than the angels. He left heaven's glory and he laid aside the free use of all of his divine prerogatives. So believer, here's the question that I have for you. Here's the question that I have for me. If he's willing to give that up, what should we withhold? If he's willing to give that up, what should we withhold? Jesus ultimately defines generosity. Paul goes on to continue to talk about constantly when he's teaching on generosity, he continues to focus on the grace of God because he knows that if we can grab hold of this grace of God, if we can understand this gift that he's given us when we didn't deserve it, then it will produce a response. It will produce a response in all of us. And when we look at the example and the the, the text that he uses around the churches of Macedonia, not only were they generous, but according to what Paul writes, they were eager to give or they were ready to give. Just like Pastor Brandon said a moment ago, I'm so excited about this moment. I'm so excited that we get to continue in worship by giving because God loves the cheerful giver. 
Because we know that we're getting to make an investment. We know that the return on the investment is gonna do far beyond anything that our minds could ever ask or imagine. Anything. But in verse 12 of chapter eight, we see how, how eager they were. It says, for, their, for if the readiness, some of your Bibles probably use the word eager, for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Here's where I can bring up that survey again. If we were to send out the survey and say, how many of you look forward each week to being generous to the kingdom of God? How many of you look forward to making an investment in what God is doing? I don't know if you'd raise your hand or put it down or run out the door. But when we truly understand the gospel, we become excited to be generous. And so maybe you're sitting here this morning and, and maybe you've been taught otherwise. Maybe you've always thought that, okay, I've just gotta give because that's what I'm supposed to do because I go to church. They're gonna pass the basket and I know I gotta write that check, throw it in there or I gotta find the change in my pocket. Or maybe this morning you've been reminded You've been reminded of the fact that Jesus was rich, but he became poor. And maybe now all of a sudden you're sitting there going, okay, well, wait a minute. So God doesn't need my money. This is not an opportunity for me to make an investment so that I get more back. That's not what all this is about. So what is it about? So you're telling me that this is just an opportunity for me to say, thank you. Yeah, it's that simple. It's an opportunity for you to say thank you. That's why we call our, our time of giving, it's still worship. We're offering up all that we have to the king who has given us all that he has. And so maybe you're sitting there right now and you're going, okay, I've never, never done this, but like I'm starting to understand it just a little bit. I've got a taste of it. So so Pastor Brian, where do I start? Where do I start? And then some of you are going, wait a minute, are they gonna pass that basket again after church? No, we're not. So where do I start? Now look, there's a lot of places in scripture, there's a lot of times that we see that, that when we talk about generosity, when we talk about giving, we always go to Malachi chapter three and we always talk about the 10%. Now, I want you to hear me out when we say this. I believe that the 10% is a great place to start. I believe it's a great way for us to learn discipline. I believe it's a great way for us to begin to see and watch God work and watch God move. But I also wanna be careful with that. Because just like Paul said, he goes, I'm not talking to you about this as a command. Because if I were to stand here this morning and say, okay, well, you're starting to feel eager now. You wanna give, so how much do you give? I can tell you, you're not gonna hear me say, well, you gotta give your 10%. Because what is that doing? That's requiring you to respond to an obligation. 
That's not true generosity. That's not a true response. That would be you following a rule or checking a box. But I wonder how many of you that all we simply do is fill out that 10% and check a box because we can say, yes, I've given this week. But the reality is, is the heart of generosity. Here's where I want us to be careful with that 10%. Because for some of you, for some of us, if 10%'s it, we gotta be careful or we shortchanging God. Because whether you realize it or not, you saw a lot of people up here leading worship a minute ago. They were exercising their gifts. You're gonna be going to small groups in a minute and you're gonna hear a teacher stand up and exercise their gift of teaching. Do you realize that some of you in this room, that God has blessed you with the gift of generosity? And so if God has blessed you with that gift of generosity, can I encourage you? Don't stop at that 10%. I'm not even telling you how far to go beyond it, but what I will encourage you to do, if God's given you that heart, get on your face and ask God, God, what would you have me to be generous with? God, what does generous look like for my home? What does God want of me? What can I do to say thank you for what he's done? So I really, 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 really want to point out the amount's not important. It's the heart behind the amount. You see, all through the New Testament, we see that references that. Some of them we've shared over the last couple of weeks, but in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the rich young ruler to what? Give all you have. Some of you are going, man, I hope I'm not the rich young ruler. Luke chapter 11, this is where Jesus says a tithe is good. That would be the 10%. Luke chapter 19, we referenced just a moment ago, Zacchaeus gave away half. And what did Jesus say about that? That's good. That's good. You see, the amounts ranged all over the place. But at the end of the day, the heart of God is not about the amount, but it's the eagerness behind it. It's not about the amount, but it's the eagerness behind it. I want you to flip to the, Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 12, Jesus is gonna have one of those teachable moments where he's talking to the disciples about giving and he, and he wants to see the heart of generosity or wants them to see the heart behind generosity. Look at verses 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and he began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting into large sums a poor widow came and put into two small copper coins, which had amounted to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty 
put in all that she owned and all she had to live on. You see what she ultimately put in there (laughs) was all the faith she had. She ultimately put in all the faith that she had, but Jesus wanted the disciples to see this. He wanted them to see that it was not about the amount, but it was about the heart behind what had been given. You know, I did my wife's grandmother's funeral just a few weeks ago. And of course, as as an earthly individual, we all are, Y'all all get the the birthday cards in the mail, right? You don't read those birthday cards. You open it up to see what? There's money in it. And half the time when there's not, you go, you don't even care who it's from now. So yes, I'm guilty of it too. And yes, I have family members that are able to, to to bless me with birthday gifts. But can I tell you one of the most special gifts that I would get every single year at my birthday would be from Chelsea's grandmother. I'd go out to the mail, she lived in Florida, and I would open up that card and every year there'd be a $5 bill. A $5 bill is what would be in that card. But I can tell you that the $5 bill, the heart behind it was equal to everything that had been given otherwise. And that was almost one of, but you, you better believe this. You know what I worried about spending more than any of the other money? That $5. Because I knew the value of that $5. Because you see, it's not the amount that's given. It's the heart behind it. It's the eagerness behind it. But you know, Paul also teaches about the heart behind it, but he also talks about the duration and how often we are to give. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse two, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. But keep in mind, Paul is journeying to all these churches and when he would go into the church, they would give him the offering that had been given and this was what was funding his ministry. This was what was funding what he was doing. But listen to what he challenges them. He says, on the first day of every week, Each one of you should also put aside and save as many prosper so that no collection be made when I come. You see, Paul was discouraging that spontaneous giving like, oh God, here comes Paul, I gotta give. We don't want that to be the heart of of the people of Chestnut Mountain of, oh, now Sunday's coming, I gotta give. But he's saying, make it a habit, be disciplined in it, make it a regular thing, make it something that you're committed to. Because the truth is, is when we look at the example of the churches of Macedonia, when we even look at the life of Christ, if you're anything like me, when things get tight, when an unexpected bill comes up, what is the first thing that goes? Being generous. The first thing that goes is being generous. Because all of a sudden, I found this and it really gave me a right jab. It says, when we are not generous, It's the result of fearing loss or forfeiting gain. It's security misplacement. It's security misplacement. 
And that's why I wanna kind of land the plane with where we started this whole thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You see, church, here's where we've got it wrong. And when I say we, I'm talking to me. Our security is to be found in the provider, not in what is provided. Think about that. Security is found in the provider, not in what is provided. That's what faith is all about. Where is your security? Maybe you're like me. Maybe I wrestle, maybe you wrestle with that security misplacement. But keep in mind that our security is not found in what is provided, but it's, provides, it's found in the one who has provided it. And so that's the challenge that I would ask you today as, as God continues to be generous to us, is the thankfulness of our heart reflecting the fact that we understand this generosity? Remember, it's not about the amount. It's about the heart behind it. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses 11 through 12. Here's ultimately the reason we are challenged to be generous. Verses 11 and 12, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Did you hear that? Which through us, through those who are being generous, is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings of God. When we understand the generosity of God, it produces thanksgiving in us. And the way that we exemplify thanksgiving is we too become generous. We realize that what we have is not ours, that there's a reason that God has given it to us. And did you hear that? Through our generosity, it's producing thanksgiving to God. And so as we are giving, as we are open-handed with what God has given us, that is producing our thanksgiving. It's saying, God, we trust you. God, we thank you. But what does it say at the end? It also produces more to say thanksgiving to God. Do you comprehend that? That many of you, when you responded to Big C Retreat, 
When you gave, I don't remember if it was 200 bucks. I don't know, we'll just call it $200. You gave your $200 to send some child to camp so that they could hear the gospel. That was a way of you saying, thank you, God, for what you have done for me. Thank you, God, that I get to make an investment in what you were doing. That $200 went towards the kingdom of God. Some child was saved by the grace of God and it produced another person who was gonna say, thank you, God, for what you've done for me. There's no dollar amount that you can put in that return on investment. And that's one thing that I love about this church. That whenever there's a need that's presented, you always respond. And you know, I remember five years ago when God called us here. One of the biggest questions that I would get in the lobby, that I would get in meetings. So Pastor Brian, what are you gonna do about what we own this building? And I probably offended a lot of people because I said, I ain't gonna do nothing about it. What? I ain't gonna do anything about it because I know when the heart of God's people are right, when we're on our face asking God, God, what does generous look like for my home? It's all gonna be taken care of. And because of your generosity, and I know some of you, you're new here. You don't even know we owe money. Welcome to the family. <laughs> Sucker. But the question is, is I believe wholeheartedly I don't believe it's gonna take us to the end of our note to pay this place off. God's gonna do what God does. And can I tell you that debt is bondage. Oh, can you imagine the day we stand up here and burn that note? Do you know how many more thanksgivings to God will be produced as a result? That's not even in the notes. I don't even know why I brought that up. Because I believe if all of God's people would get their heart right and then seek God's face, generosity is gonna look different for every home. What may be a dollar in one home may be a million in the other. But I want you to hear me. The amount don't matter. It's the heart behind what's given. That one dollar is just as valuable as that one million in the kingdom of God. Because it's a way of saying, thank you, God, 
I understand what you've done. And we always talk about, we always talk about that God keeps sending people here to build the team, to do what God's doing here. I believe God's sending people here to take care of the finances that it takes to run this ministry. Because the return on investment, you can't put a dollar sign on it. And so you say, well, Brian, how do we respond today? I don't know that either. But maybe this morning you need to simply, maybe you just need to start by saying, thank you, God, for what you've done for me. Maybe that's all the response that's required of you today. is to say, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for doing for me what I did not deserve. Or maybe this morning, this, this idea of being generous, it scares you to death. Can I tell you that's okay too? Do you know when me and my wife first got married, that was some of the biggest arguments we had. I'm really laying out all of my laundry right here, all right? So I'm being real transparent. I was that guy that when the offering plate came by, I gotta give something because somebody watching me. She grew up in a church that was the opposite of that. She grew up at Free Chapel. So guess what? Giving was just a response to saying thank you to God. Do you think it's by accident that they don't have any debt? Do you think it's by accident that they're able to fund ministries all across the world? It's not because people are following a commandment. It's because people are getting on their face before God and saying, God, what does it look like for me to be generous? But boy, I wrestled. I said, you want us giving what? Well, we're gonna start at 10%. No, ma'am, we're not. Then of course I submitted as the husband always does. I said, yes, ma'am, you got it. And that was where we started. But can I tell you, We've never missed a meal. Our kids have never had a day without clothes. In the nick of time, God has always been faithful. He's always been faithful. So let's thank him today for being faithful. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think 
And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.